the Ohio River um, from its starting place in Pittsburgh until it joins the Mississippi in Cairo, Illinois, is a, it's a whale of a big river. Uh, it is the largest tributary to the Mississippi by volume. At some places, it is a mile across. It passes by six states, and it collects water from 14. The river is fast, the water is deep, and there are few places where you can see the bottom. The Ohio River also forms the northern border of the state of Kentucky. And for that reason, before the Civil War, the Ohio River also happened to separate the slave-owning South and the free North. Which meant that the Ohio River was often the last obstacle an escaped slave faced on his way to freedom. A slave who had traveled for days and often weeks in the Underground Railroad needed only to cross this muddy river to be free. Of course, slave owners in Kentucky knew this also, so the river was closely watched. Daytime crossings were often way too dangerous, and sometimes the scheduled night crossings, the boat wouldn't show up. And so sometimes a slave would reach the banks of the river only to hear dogs growling and men shouting behind them as they were hunting their lost property, right? And the slave would be faced with this awful choice to try to swim a swift, deep, and dangerous river or to turn yourself in. Either way, it it really wasn't clear how you would survive the night. I can't help but think that Israel must have felt much the same way. As they stood on the banks of the Red Sea, they could see freedom in the distance. But the chariots of Pharaoh were getting closer, and it wasn't clear to anyone how they would survive the night. Something strange had happened a few days earlier uh, when they left. When they were leaving Egypt, Moses had informed the people that they would be taking a different route. They had been presumably intending to travel on the northerly road that naturally connects Egypt with the promised land. It's about a seven-day trip that way. It's pretty free and clear, pretty easy to do. But God told them instead to head south. Chapter 13, verse 18, he told them to take the desert road to the Red Sea. Is there a map on there, Christy, on the slides? I don't know how good it is. but So there's the Gulf of Suez. It's probably where they crossed. You see, there's lots of land to walk across there on the north part to get to the promised land from Egypt. God sent them south. This is not the obvious way to get from Egypt to Israel. Okay. Thanks, Christy. And so they're standing on this spot, and and behind them is the most powerful army in the world, right? And ahead of them are miles of open water. 
You ever have it with your, uh, with your GPS where it, it tells you you've arrived at your destination and you're kind of looking out the windows and you ask the person next to you, like, did, did you, did you punch it in right? Like, are we, are we really, like, is this where we're supposed to be? Like, are you sure? That's Israel at this moment, okay? They're trying to figure out this detour. What in the world are we doing in Pi Haharath? That's where the Bible says that they are. We don't know hardly anything about this spot. It doesn't show up in any other literature or any other maps. Um, We only know what the Bible tells us right here. So we know that it's beside the water. And second, and this is what we learn in verse 3, wherever it is, the location is so reckless, it's so crazy, they are so pinned against the water and vulnerable to attack at this spot that God says that when Pharaoh finds out where they are, he will be as confused as the Israelites. He'd be talking to his scouts and be like, wait, sorry, they're where? Are, are you sure? Pai Haharath, the same Pai Haharath. Yeah, yeah, the same one, right? This location is so bad for an escape from Egypt, Pharaoh thinks the Israelites are confused. Nobody in their right mind would go to Pi Haharath if they wanted to escape Egypt. And the Israelites must know this too. And so they stand on the shore. They can see the pillar of fire. They know God has promised to rescue them, but they are beginning to have second thoughts. As much as they want to believe that God will rescue them, the truth is that at this moment, the moment of their rescue, they have probably never been more vulnerable. And in verse 11, they start talking. And they say, well, you know, I... I was actually, I was never really in favor of this Exodus thing anyway. I mean, uh, Egypt's not that bad. I mean, there's a lot of sand, that's true. But, you know, they got that river, they got the cool pyramids. I mean, I really think it could have worked. I mean, I, nobody asked me what I wanted to do. They're starting to waver. They're starting to waver because the truth is, as scary as Egypt is, The Red Sea is scarier. And let's be clear, because I think this is important. I don't think the Red Sea would be much less scary after God split it open. Okay. Um, all right, you got to picture the scene, right? So it's nighttime. God is using a storm to split the water. So, so you imagine the wind is just roaring, right? It's pitch black. The sea has formed two walls of water. Don't see that every day, right? The pillar of fire is behind them. It's not ahead of them. The pillar of fire is behind them. So they can't see the way through the sea. I mean, you sort of picture the first guy like leaning out. He's like, uh, does, does this go all the way, right? We need to be really clear. This is a blind step of faith. 
I mean, would you walk into that? Seriously, I mean, down that tunnel for 5, 10, 20, 30 miles across. Thinking to yourself, well, I mean, I guess I hope this invisible wall of water holds until I get to the other side. As scary as Pharaoh is, I'm not sure that I would cross the Red Sea. And Israel's not sure either. Right? They have second thoughts alongside the sea. And this is interesting because God said that they would. Uh, The Bible says in verse 17, the reason God took this detour is because he thought if they face trouble on the northerly road, they just find a way to turn around. But see, you can't turn around at Pi Haharath. That's why it's such a bad location. Uh, there's no escape from this point, right? You're just, you're just there. You either throw yourself at the mercy of Pharaoh or you step into the sea. And when faced with the unknown of getting across this water, I can see why. Suddenly, Egypt doesn't seem that bad. I was actually thinking that their their situation uh, reminded me of this really tragic pattern that you often find in abusive relationships. So some of you kind of know how this goes. You're, You're in a relationship with your boyfriend, and he hits you, and everything is always your fault, and, and finally you get ready, and you're going to move out, and you pack your bags, and you make for the door, and then just before you leave, you sort of realize you don't really know where you're going, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, and you don't know where you're going to stay. You're leaving this bad situation, but you're facing this really scary unknown in front of you. And so you have second thoughts. This is human nature, right? You start to think, well, I I mean, I guess I've, I've been in this relationship for years. We have shared history. We have shared friends. We have a shared car payment. And so you, you think about your boyfriend and you think, well, you know, I, I don't know. I bet we could make it work. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Right? You're on the edge of deliverance. Right? You're standing on the Red Sea, but that next step is hard. Right? At least you know what to expect with your boyfriend. Who knows what life on your own will be like? And so you start convincing yourself that maybe that old life wasn't so bad. You convince yourself, well, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if I do things a little bit differently, he won't get so upset with me. And if you've ever had, if you've ever been a friend of someone in that situation, and I know some of you have, you're just pulling your hair out, right? Like, don't you see, you have to leave this guy. 
But for that woman, right, taking that decisive step, it is like crossing the Red Sea. It is unknown, and it is scary, and how is this going to work? See, this is the problem. Sometimes, sometimes the path to freedom, the path to freedom, can be scarier than just staying in slavery. Sometimes the path to freedom can be scarier than just staying in slavery. And I bring this up because leaving slavery and crossing the Red Sea are some of the most important images in the Bible for becoming a follower of God. So Jesus says in John chapter 5, he says that when someone believes in Jesus, they cross, and it's the same word for crossing the Red Sea, he says they cross from death to life. When you believe in God, you pass from death to life. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, compares crossing the Red Sea to baptism. It's it's an image he uses elsewhere with the water. We go through the waters from death to life. And, And when you hear... Paul and Jesus talking about it, you think, oh yeah, like crossing the Red Sea, like, yeah, sure, I mean, that's easy, right? I mean, becoming a Christian, that's easy. Until you remember that crossing the Red Sea would have to have been one of the scariest, riskiest, hardest things the Israelites ever did. Sometimes I think, actually, that the that the church kind of undersells how hard it is to become a Christian or to follow Jesus. I mean, it's free, of course. It's, uh, I mean, everyone is welcome to follow Jesus, no matter who you are or where you come from or what you've done or how much you've screwed up. Like, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. Like, all are welcome to follow Jesus. But I think a lot of people in this room would tell you that Conversion will be both the easiest thing you've ever done and maybe also the hardest. I've had some kind of interesting conversations with folks. They like their church. They're interested in God. Um, And I asked them, so are are you a member of your church? Are you baptized? And they said, well, you know, I go to church, but I'm not baptized. Uh, I'm not a member. They say, "I'm I'm not ready to pay the price. Now, of course, there's no price to joining a church. It's free, right? But I think what they mean is there's some part of my old life I'm not ready to give up yet. And I'm not sure I even really want to try to give it up. Right? Just to be clear, I mean, to become a Christian, you don't have to be good at changing your life. You can be very bad at it. Most of us are. Um, But you want to be trying to point in the Jesus direction, right? But I think some folks realize very honestly, like, if I become a Christian, things are going to have to change. I'm going to have to be pointing in a different direction than I'm pointing now, and I'm not really sure I'm ready for that. Uh, Jesus was better at this than we are, of course. (laughs) Uh, When he called the rich young ruler to follow him, He tells the man, he says, sell all that you have 
and then follow me. Sell all that you have and then follow me. Why does he have to sell everything? Is it like you have to make like a down payment to become a disciple or something? Like get on the payment plan? No, right? Jesus isn't worried about the money. He's worried about the man. Right? Because he knew that as long as that man had a big savings account, he had a way out of discipleship, right? So if trusting Jesus becomes too difficult or led to adversity, right? If things got hard on the road with Jesus... He could always just go back to his old life. It's a classic spiritual trap, right? We know that we need a change, but some parts of the old life seem too good to give up. I like nursing grudges against people. I do. (laughs) It feels good. I like gossiping about people. I like calling the shots in my life. I like setting the priorities in my life. I like loving my friends, and I am glad I do not need to love my enemies. And I am so glad that I do not need to love my neighbor. Even when we want to cross from death to life, we're not quite ready to step into the sea. And the person ahead of us is like, dude, like, the ground is dry. The sea walls will hold. Like, giving your life to Jesus, like, that is the best thing you will ever do with your life. But we're not sure. We're kind of counting the cost. We have second thoughts. And we start thinking, well, you know, I mean, my old way of life, I mean, that, it's not so bad. I mean, I probably don't need to cross this big sea to have a better life. I mean, maybe, maybe I can just tweak my life a bit, you know? Maybe I just need yoga, you know? Like, just, I just, you know, I need a, I just need a cleanse. Like, all I really need, I just need a cleanse. I just need a new job. The truth is, most of us would rather find a way to cope with living in Egypt than risk stepping into the sea to experience real freedom and new life in Christ. All right. Most of us would rather find a way to cope with living in Egypt than risk stepping into the sea to experience real freedom and new life in Christ. Which makes me think that maybe we all need God (laughs) to reroute us to some pi-ha-harath. We got too many options up here. We're on the northerly route. Uh, We need to go to a place where we're pinned. (laughs) Where there's no quick escape to the left or the right. Where it's obvious that a half measure or a tweak isn't going to fix the problem. Where the decision is clear, even if it's not easy, a life of death in Egypt or a step of faith across the sea.
And I think maybe that's the genius of the first of the 12 steps. Admitting my life has become unmanageable. Isn't that a way of saying that half measures won't cut it anymore? I can't fix this Egypt problem while I'm still in Egypt. I can't save myself. There's no tweak that is big enough to cure what ails me. Dear friends, the truth is that we cannot tweak our way from the old life to the new. We cannot make modest adjustments to move from death to life. Moving from death to life is a miracle. It is not a tweak. And that miracle starts by letting go. By admitting that I am pinned. I am at pi ha harath. Admitting that my old way of life is not getting it done. In fact, it's killing me. And saying simply, I need Jesus. That's a step of faith. I need Jesus. I need a miracle of God if I'm ever going to find the new life I need. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that uh, we would not waver on the road, but that you would lead us to a point of decision again. Even if we've been Christians for a long time, or maybe we've just been considering it for a little while. Um, Lord, give us the courage to take a step of faith and trust that you will hold back the seawalls and you will make the ground dry beneath our feet and you will lead us from death into life if only we would let you. Lord, work in our hearts even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.